0: This is This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben off the cheek and you're listening
1: to the London, the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast.
0: podcast. All right Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right of the London is Blue podcast. World Cup. World Cup 2022 edition. That's right. We are off the Chelsea conversation for a little bit. At least on the main shows there are plenty of wonderful content about the Chelsea Women's team that Jesse Abdullah and Nick are putting together during this time period, but As we take a little bit of a blue-lens approach to the World Cup, I'm happy that Sam, also known to many as CFC Central, is joining me on an episode or a series of episodes that we're kind of dubbing next-gen Chelsea World Cup scouting, where we're going to get in and look at a host of players that Sam has identified that, if they're not on Chelsea's radar, should definitely, 100%, be on Chelsea's radar, and we're going to talk about why. But Sam, welcome back. Are you looking forward to the World Cup? Are you looking forward to the matches at hand? Where Where are you at right now with that?
1: Hey, Dan. I mean, absolutely happy to be here with you, first of all. I mean, that's a conversation I'm always up for, no matter what we're talking about. But uh, I think the World Cup frenzy this time is slightly muted. I don't know if I'm the only one feeling it. Maybe it's like too much football in the calendar. Maybe it's, you know, there at the wrong time. But uh, slightly less uh, dampened excitement, I think, for me personally. But uh, I think like once it kicks off, you know, everything's going to come flooding back. So... Definitely looking forward to it. A lot of players to watch, a lot of incredible international football to watch together for the first time. So we're looking forward to it, definitely. I mean, for the next 40, 45-odd days, I think with the season that we're having with the club, if you can just detach yourself for it for a bit, I think it does everybody a a really big favor before we kick proceedings off next month.
0: Yeah. And as we went through on our World Cup or World Cup of Content preview a little earlier this week with Brandon, Nick and myself, we did go into a lot of the humans right policy concerns surrounding this world cup and those are things that you definitely get into we've also retweeted and linked out a couple of things that would be worth reading that are not necessarily about the football but the impact related to the football that would be worth considering but in this episode Again, we're going to go through a couple of these players that you've identified, Sam. Uh, we also want to recommend to people that if uh, they'd like to support the show, they can always have a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Always appreciated. And uh, you can join us on Patreon where we're discussing plenty of things, including World Cup matches, but also people who are traveling across the globe and asking questions or the latest episode of Andor. Yeah, I'll mention it again. It's a great series. But anyway, <laughs> Sam, as we talk about it, Where did you start, or maybe where is the genesis of the players you selected? So before we get into the specifics, are you still in the mindset that you're looking at attack, midfield? Is it maybe a sneaky defender in there or a goalkeeper? How did you approach the creation of this list of players that we're about to go through?
1: Uh, Dan, so I think the first disclaimer I need to make is, um, for any scouting team in the world do not sign a player based on their world cup performance like that what
0: i thought that was the best way to do it <laughs> never,
1: robbery. never robbery i yeah, think never robbery never
0: over exaggerated stat lines
1: it is it is daylight robbery and it always benefits the selling club you know always it just it just doesn't work out and i think with this world cup in particular we are going to see this this unique um, Two-factor, you know, synthesis of of the biggest mistakes, the two cardinal sins that you can make in scouting. It's like trying to go for a marquee signing in January and trying to sign a player who's done very well at the World Cup. So, um, please do not take this as you know recommendations from the World Cup. Like for me, I think I started this process about six months back, five months back. The players that I mentioned now, I think are people I've been tracking. For a significant amount of time. So this is sort of leading up to what you can expect when you watch them. Um, Not really, I think, would be a good barometer of where they stand considering national teams are always a little uh, icky to judge because, you know, there is no time to gel. Sometimes tactics are different and and players don't benefit. And uh, considering it's an intense tournament, you won't really get, um, you know, the optimal performance levels that we see. But just leading up to it and saying that this is what I've found in the past three, four months. And this is why probably you should be excited. If either of them goes and has, you know, a, an absolute or of a, of a tournament, then I think it, it's definitely going to pump their price up. And um, it would be clever to try and find alternative options somewhere else, or at least wait till the till the hype dies down.
0: Yeah, that's right. We, we don't want to get into the habit of buying – at a premium that is related to one tournament and potentially overstates an individual's importance, uh, maybe for their country when their club level or even where they play at their club level is completely different than what they do at the World Cup. So things to definitely keep in mind. And as you also took a look at this, Sam, were there specific groups that you're highly interested in. Obviously, for those who don't know, the World Cup is broken into groups of four that will advance into then knockout stages. So there's rounds of four that are going to be uh, be playing against one another to determine who advances out of the group. The top two each get out. So are there maybe just even specific matches or matchups where that feature a bunch of players? Maybe even not necessarily the ones that you're talking about. Maybe some of your dark horse candidates as well where you're like, hey, if you're just a general, super neutral, want to catch a couple games, what are ones that you circled as, hey, I'm going to invest a ton of time digging into specific patterns of play or player personnel in these matches?
1: Um, I think the World Cup schedule has been pretty independent of the research that I've done. I mean, luckily, we've known the kind of matchups that are going to be there, but I tried to keep my assessments in terms of the sample size that I had, which was on the club games and where uh, I could watch them consistently. I mean, national team games tend to, you know, pop up once every two months, three months, and then evaporate for the next, whatever, couple of months. So I don't really think that that's, that's what I want to see, how they perform in the national team. But I would want to take something away. I only use the international matches to sort of add a little more of, you know, sprinkling on top in terms of, how do they perform in a different system or how do they perform in a system that they're not used to? I think it's it's incredibly nice, for example, to see a defender who plays a back four for his club suddenly being played at back three for his country and then figure out what is the difference there in dynamics and, and how does he or she take up that challenge? I think that's an important aspect to have, but... Um, that's probably why I didn't pick anybody from the Minnows. you know, with all due respect to to Qatar and, and a lot of the other countries that are competing, which aren't really fancy. I think I, I sort of like made my research more cohesive and said, OK, these are the teams I expect to do really well. Denmark, for example, is is my dark horse and I've got a, a dark horse from that team in, in this section. But definitely my research is focused on what they do uh, playing week in, week out.
0: Got it. And it makes sense that you're looking at players who would be from markets that Chelsea would typically purchase into as well. So you're looking for players who most likely play in Europe already, who would have the necessary work permits or work visas or have an easier path to obtaining one because that's also a consideration as well. Would that be a safe assumption?
1: Absolutely. And I I really wish that we were in a position where I could say, you know, let's try and figure out players from a different market, you know, somewhere where they're not really, uh, you know, sort of um, affected by price inflation or the interest has died down. So you can basically get a good deal out of them, for example. But I don't think this Chelsea squad is at that juncture, for example. I mean, you can buy an Ivanovich if you have John Terry, if you have Frank Lampard, if you have Michael Ballack and all these guys who are senior players, bring a wealth of experience, have that dressing room, you know, presence, give you that amount of squad character. I think with the amount of players that we've lost with Rudiger, with Christensen, um, Jorginho and Kante probably leaving at the end of the year, it's a lot of experience that we're losing out on. So I, I am going for names that bring those qualities also along with their playing style. Otherwise it would have been a really nice exercise for me to pick out somebody from a South Korea, for example, which I've also included as a dark horse, just in case the club wants to go a different route, but definitely trying to also zero down on who are the leaders and, and how do they perform in front situations and, and would they add, Two dressing room steel for us. I think that's an important question to ask.
0: Great. So the now on that one. So you're also considering the in some of the intangible elements to not just the stats based approach or the uh, you know a little bit of the eye test that Nick has, but also taking a look into are there things in terms of maybe domestic success or champion's pedigree that might be beneficial to a team that's also going through a little bit of a leadership transition as well
1: for sure definitely i think um, being an on-ground scout obviously gives you a massive advantage in terms of um appraising a player's psychological state of mind how they are socially how they behave um when i was doing this level one course for for scouting from the fa there were these um four basic tenets on which you judge a player and one of them was you know sometimes you observe a, a player post-training. Do they help um, the trainers take the footballs away? Like, you know, are, are they the ones who bring the training cones out? I think those little factors are also very important. But, you know, from a work-from-home remote scout perspective, I can't offer those those bits, but I will try and pick out certain nuances. For example, how does a player react when they make a mistake? Um, yeah. I think those things are also extremely important to pick up on. And I think... That will also be very important, especially into uh, considering the dressing room that they're going to be walking into uh, in Jan or next summer. Got it.
0: So with that said, we're going to take a very quick first break. We're going to thank these sponsors financially supporting the show. And then we're going to jump right in to the four players that Sam has identified that Todd Bowley and company and maybe that wonderfully large or growing scouting department should be really paying attention to during the World Cup. But we'll be right back after this break.
2: If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund, you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again, that's nordvpn.com/londonisblue to get your subscription started today
0: all right sam so give us give the listeners the first player that you think chelsea chelsea supporters and you know when stanley maybe a few others should just be paying some extra attention to during the next uh, 30 45 days
1: yeah, I think the f- first thing that we need to focus on is midfield. I think that's been um, wait, a wait, 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 question. wait, wait. You're
0: telling me midfield is an area of need <laughs> at Chelsea?
1: Definitely, definitely. I think uh, I've left out the more obvious names, then, for for quite the reason. I think everybody knows that I'm a huge fan of Declan Rice, and I think he should be a, a no-brainer. You know, at this point in time, to to get him on board. But when I'm looking for midfield partners for him, uh, the number one target. Not, I mean, the number one sort of talent pool that I saw also included this guy was Enzo Fernandez. So, um, he's somebody now who's moving into, um, at a very young age into Argentina central midfield. He's been sort of getting rave reviews with his performances for Benfica. He's just recently joined, I think, uh, it's been a two year period, you know, from where he's made his senior team debut for River Plate and he's gone out on loan and then he's come to to Europe and he's made the kind of impact that he has. And I think it's, it's incredible speaks volumes about the kind of player he is and, um, definitely wanted to sort of zero down on him because I think a lot of European clubs will be keeping a very keen eye on him.
0: All right. So walk me through and I've seen clips, I've seen highlights, but I haven't seen Fernandez through your lens. So walk me through, you know, you're you're the storyteller. You're the narrative individual in this episode. Uh, it's very different from when Nick and I are the podcast, and then it's and I'm the narrative individual. So I'm going to cede this section to you. What's the story of Fernandez? What's how did he get to where he is right now, and what makes him maybe just on that level an interesting individual for Chelsea?
1: I think it's his footballing education. I think he's had um, a pretty good one. Uh, he's uh, basically played under Marcelo Gallardo, who's a very highly rated coach in South America. He's uh, been managing River Plate, where uh, Julian Alvarez also came from to Manchester City. Um, and, and Gallardo also focuses a lot on, you know, extremely aggressive counter-pressing, uh, doing it in high advanced zones, winning the ball back and then launching attacks as quickly as possible. It's a, It's a very suffocating approach. Um, and and I think Enzo is is benefited from from that basic education. I think his traits, his overall midfield play is is very well rounded for somebody who's still very young. Um, he's also won uh, a Copa Sudamericana uh, when he went on loan, um, and, and he's also been sort of had that Chelsea connect where his manager on loan was Hernan Crespo. So uh, that's a little bit of a nice trivia to have. So hopefully that will help us when when we try. Uh, to lure him to Stamford Bridge. Uh, but he's still very young then. I think he's not even had 75 senior league games as of as of this point. So he's still a, a fledgling compared to other competitors that um, our scouting team might be looking at. And I think um, he can only get better from here. So whatever transfer fees that you've seen being reported are purely on his ceiling and, and the potential that he carries. But the player that he is already, I think... Um, is a pretty phenomenal talent pool to get.
0: So I, I know that, uh, you know, with playing for Benfica, we've had, most likely had a chance to, or some people have had a chance to watch their Champions League play. That might be where I would imagine most people have had a chance to see him who've listened to this podcast, if they've seen him at all. And maybe you could go into some of the, the strengths or things that you've seen over his time, you know, since that move, And what gets you excited for him as a, in in more specific?
1: I think he's benefited a lot from Roger Schmidt, who's the manager at Benfica. And uh, it's a similar, you know, very expansive vertical football, but also working extremely hard to counter-press, win the ball back. And I think that's what he does best. I would define him probably as a deep line playmaker, somebody who's extremely good in organizing from the back but also trying to unlock static defenses so he can do everything between the opposition's box and your own box he, he's he's a complete midfielder in in that sense uh, at benfica he plays next to florentino luis who's his double pivot partner so they often go a 4-2-3-1 so he plays you know by his side um what really strikes me Incredible about Enzo Fernandez is whatever boxes I was trying to take in terms of what can he do. I ended up taking up almost every box because he he genuinely tends to carry everything you need from, from a really good central midfielder. He's somebody who can do the Jorginho role, you know, he can to get the ball under pressure. He's very good at maneuvering out. He's he's pretty short, so low center of gravity, and, and he can maneuver out. Of, of extremely tough pressure situations. Uh, he can also drop at centre-back. He can, he can dictate play from there. He Once he moves play, then he also moves to the attacking third to try and get shots away. Sometimes he'll try and link up play in the attacking third. He's an extremely good passer as well. I mean, most of the clips and compilations that people have seen will see him, you know, effortlessly switching play with either foot from the left flank to the right. He's also got some extremely nice long passes uh, where he directly tries to find somebody like a Gonzalo Ramos. So it's, I think, in terms of if you want to find somebody who can give you a little bit of everything, who is defensively extremely solid, has um, a high-energy press, he's, he's got a great engine on him. When he loses the ball, he's, you know, I would say, almost as characteristic as, say, a, um, a Martinez at Manchester United. Is very aggressive, very tenacious, doesn't like losing the ball. Is similar qualities there in terms of making sure that that you know you're a ball winner for your team, and um, pops up with the occasional goal. He's also a good set piece threat. Um, you'll often see him deliver good corners into the area and and get people to score goals. So, I mean, in terms of if you're looking for an overall midfield profile to to do everything from um, the opposition's box to your box, defend, attack, link up, play. I think he's he's absolutely perfect.
0: Well, that's things that people will like to hear. And and taking a little look at his overall stats for the entirety of the season, in terms of the entire Benfica side, I think a couple of things that stand out to me. I mean, he's got close to a eighty nine percent completion at over four. Yeah, you know, with a Almost 1,600 total attempts uh, in terms of passes, 1,400 plus in terms of completed. The next highest, a name that you have not really not heard uh, very recently, if you're not paying attention to Benfica, uh, Otamendi is uh, second for Benfica for the in season right now at 1,154. So getting close to almost 300 uh, completed passes between the two, Uh, I think showing how involved he is potentially uh, in comparison to some of his other uh, compa- you know, in- individuals on the pitch. Uh, Luis, another midfielder for Benfica, just over a 1,000. So really, I think, shows just how much of an imprint, even at a young age in a side that is currently uh, top of their domestic league and advancing in the Champions League, has placed uh, has been, a, the trust he's been awarded, but the importance to the system he has, even if he isn't the individual who's necessarily creating the actual assist potentially you know he is finding ways to be or kind of have a high level of shot creating actions he's actually looks like uh, close to top when it comes to uh the league when you get into the league plus european competitions he's third overall between uh behind uh, silva and uh marlo uh as the the top two on the team but uh not not far behind them and
1: like you mentioned you know i mean it's it's his performances in the champions league that have really struck a chord because just before we started people talking about how important these psychological factors are in terms of performances he tends to enjoy the big occasions you know he's saved his best performances when when he's been crunching into tackles, when going you know after Neymar or uh, at Juventus he he looks absolutely fantastic. You know he he basically bossed the midfield for large spells. So he's somebody who comes up against big opponents and and feels like he's at home. And that's something that you definitely need to take into account. You don't want somebody who's you know hiding away in those key moments, for example, especially for somebody who's conducting play in the first phase. I think um, when you start seeing a player shun responsibility, not calling for the ball and and basically trying to hide and and get away from responsibilities, I think that's when the alarm bells start ringing. But he was completely in his zone. You know, he was asking for the ball repeatedly. He was conducting play. He was pulling strings everywhere. So I think that's also a great, great um, factor to, to consider when we are trying to sign him. You know, he is somebody who loves that big occasion and will probably enjoy playing day in, day out against high-quality opposition. So
0: if he were to come into the side, what would you see the immediate impact being for the way Chelsea play and what Grand Potter has been looking to do but maybe didn't have the profile skill set? Or intangibles that Fernandez would bring into the side?
1: I think he definitely adds balance in in the sense that he is somebody, I think, probably the only one from central midfield who can offer some level of threat. I think that's something that we've struggled with. Um, NG was doing an incredible job, you know, in, in the couple of months preceding his injury, where we saw him put in some really good performances in terms of even attacking this place, winning the ball back and, and playing these simple passes to create opportunities. I think he's somebody who can offer that level of threat. Somebody who joins in the, in the counter press, wins the ball back and has the awareness, has the technical ability to play simple passes through and probably bring, you know, some kind of dividends from our forwards who've actually struggled from, from a lack of service. And he loves shooting as well. You know, he takes a lot of long range shots. And when I was looking at the data, when when the season sort of went into tail sort of tailing out into the World Cup, uh, we struggled to get shots away. Dan, I think it's it's been a major major concern. We've been very short shy. We've not had enough attempts. And and if you can add somebody who brings that level of creativity, but also is willing to take shots, I think uh, that adds. And I dimension to your central midfield. So he would be one half of the puzzle for me. It's finding his other partner. That would be the second part. But he definitely adds um, a lot of threat up front. And he can also do Jorginho's role, which is try to build. Uh, if Porto wants the play to progress from the center, then you've got an extremely good focal point, a very reliable focal point to get the ball where you want it to go.
0: All things we would like, and all things I'm sure Graham Potter would like as well in terms of a midfield that never feels complete and always feels like someone is missing out due to a injury or just fatigue at this point, given the amount of matches. When it comes to things that he would need to improve, you know, we've seen players, regardless of league, come to the Premier League, and then it's the step up in competition, the frequency of play, the speed of play, potentially. Obviously, there's been some success that Fernandez has seen in Europe against teams like Juventus. But what are those things that you're earmarking as opportunity areas? Because no player is the complete package, and so I'm sure there's a few things that jump up as either concerns, which may be addressable concerns, or concerns that are just going to have to be worked around if you like the player enough?
1: Um, I think most of my concerns stem from him being a little raw. I think he's, he's, his aggression tends to work against him in certain parts of play. I think when you have somebody like him in the attacking third create you can afford to make mistakes when you have the right people behind you. But sometimes he applies those same principles when when play in is in the middle third or is at the edge of his own box and at that at that time he can get carried away a little bit. you know I've, I've seen multiple instances where a little bit of caution, um, a little bit of delay would would basically help stem whatever threat is building, but he tries to jump on the player and and gets dribbled past. So when you've got clever players, with with some really good footwork offering that kind of temptation to come and tackle they're waiting for that opportunity so I think it's something that he needs to develop he de- needs to develop a little bit of restraint in terms of protecting that central area of his pitch when he's defending I think that's something that I would like him, for him to develop obviously without toning down his aggression but you know just, just getting that level of level headedness to say alright I'm going to bite my time and and wait for the attacker to commit before I make my decision. I think that's um, the hallmark of a good defensive midfielder. He probably isn't a defensive midfielder, but when he's doing his, his defensive work, then then you would want those qualities to be absolutely inch perfect. So I think that's something that that definitely needs work. Um, and, and one major problem that I see is we don't have the right profiles for him. I don't think... And Golo Kante, I don't think a Jorginho, I don't think a Matej Kovacic would make good midfield partners for him because they're all very attuned to trying to win the ball in the attacking third. They tend to venture forward and he's somebody who does the same. So if you have a midfield with those two profiles, I do see some kind of trouble happening on transitions. So you you do need somebody like Florentino Luis. You need someone like a Declan Rice who's willing to be a little more conservative win the ball back on transitions, offers that level of expertise. So balance is going to be extremely important. And the third part, I would say, is his estimated release clause. I mean, Benfica will ask for an eye-watering sum. Um, the report said somewhere around $100 million. I mean, Nunez went for an extremely high amount, and I don't even think he's close to the finished product. So if they can ask for something Um, around 60-70 million for a player which is I think at 60% efficiency then I think they're going to milk the Enzo deal as much as they can so is he worth 100 million I do not think so I think it's a very limited sample size to go on a lot of wonder kids have come in the past and just like faded away so I think caution needs to be exercised for, for spending that much money and considering how many people we need to buy Uh, in the summer in our midfield and we also need you know a playmaking attacker or 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 number nine for example money needs to be spent very very judiciously even i mean especially if we miss out on the champions league spots.
0: yeah as you're presenting the information to me there when you talk about a player who we don't have a direct partner to or the midfield complement right now which is already a hodgepodge of different decisions that have been made by different managers and different stylistic choices. It feels like if Enzo is a and one to another deal that has to be completed. I'm guessing I, if I'm trying to picture the likelihood of this and you've given us all this information, I'll try to come up with a likelihood rating. Like how likely would it be that Chelsea actually goes for this player it feels like it's a mid to low likelihood that Chelsea actually go after this player unless we see something really significant from him over the course of the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that assessment. I think it's it's also fair to assume that there will be a lot of interest in him from other clubs and will probably be able to offer him a more balanced role. For example, with Henderson going, um, you know, aging and and sort of like going into the twilight years, I think playing next to Fabinho would be an interesting option for him if Liverpool choose to swing that way. I think somebody like Fabinho offers him the freedom to go and and take the liberty of doing what he does best. I think that will appeal to him um, if the right people around him are advising him, saying, look, that seems like a more stable system for you. But like you said, if we find the right profile, if we find um, the right pairing for him to offer that kind of defensive fortitude, then I think the likeliness sort of goes to, say, a five, five and a half out of 10. But I wouldn't be too optimistic. I think this is a deal that we would steer clear from, considering it would be vastly overpriced.
0: Okay. Well, that is a rundown on Fernandez, which I'm sure we are going to learn more about over the coming weeks as we get... Updates through the tournament on some of the players who we will be paying close attention to, but we're going to take a little bit of a shift. We went to someone who can influence the t- attack, but let's talk about someone who actually could spearhead or necessarily lead the attack because they're not necessarily a nine. But you know, you have one here that I think people have heard the name before. They probably have heard it in relation to. A United transfer, which is seemingly the club that's been, at least in the Premier League, that's been most linked to this player. But walk us through your second individual that you're going to be keeping a close eye on during the World Cup.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I think Cody Gakpo came about from from a couple of players that we've been linked with. We've been linked with some... Um, nice inside forward profiles, you know, players who sort of start on the left or on the right and, and like to drift in and create havoc in the center. Um, Christopher Nkunku is somebody who comes to mind. Uh, you talk about Martin Terrier, who's also doing really well in, in League One. I think he's also somebody that we've kept tabs on. We've probably not followed through with our interest, but we've watched him for certain. And I think, Cody Gakpo also fits in that bracket, which is why I thought that it would be interesting to bring him up. Um, because at one point in time, I think even now, he has more GA contributions than Erling Haaland. So, you know, he's definitely creating an incredible amount of waves in, in the VZ. I think he's probably the most devastating attacker in, in the top five leagues as of now. He has nine goals and 12 assists from 14 starts, which is pretty staggering. And um, I think it's it's the flair with which he scores his goals. I think it's um, the kind of finishes that end up on the highlight trees that has really you know cranked up the interest in him. I would say that he reminds me a little bit of a younger Ibrahimovic uh, at um, at Ajax when he was just starting off, like a less physically imposing version of Ibrahimovic, but definitely somebody who can give you that X factor in attack.
0: So. As we look at this player, because I think there is a lot to get excited about. I mean, when you just go to FB ref and pull up the fact that his total goals plus assists minus PKs for the entire season, both the uh, Eredivisie and Europa League campaigns that he has been involved in is uh, gone up season over season from 1.0 per 90 last year to 1.51 this year. That starts to get the mind wondering, well, how good is this? How replicatable is this? How much of this is luck flash in the pan, a little unsustainable? Walk us through why why you're excited and maybe if you can address just the, is this a, a growth trajectory? Is this a little bit of a great moment for him and maybe he's going to regress a little bit to the mean because these are things that just on the top line would get you very very excited and absolutely would be why you want to include him on the list
1: no definitely I think every factor that you've brought up is a reason for caution I think the scoring rate that he's going on is unsustainable long term he's definitely going to regress to the mean somewhere um but he still feels like, you know, a 10 goals, 10 assists kind of player. I think at his current age, with ample scope to grow and, and play in high-level competitions where he can mould himself, I think that is, you know, something that should definitely be kept firmly in the foreground when when considering him. Um, because when I look at this deal and you ask me what is the closest parallel I can think of, I would say a Akai Havertz. Because... You know, it's it's a similar kind of gamble that we took on a player who displayed the same kind of characteristics was in an extremely good purple patch and um was picked because he was one of the most promising youngsters and then sort of regressed to his mean um had some really great great moments but most of the times people think that he should be delivering more often and i think that can be a perfectly plausible scenario with with Carpo, but i'm so i'm, I'm actually very excited because there are certain traits which you would want from a, an elite finisher and when i look at him those qualities do stand out in space so i think he will improve upon them and it's it's fair to say that it would be a good bet to make should you want to sign a, a good goal scorer from one of the european leagues all right what are some
0: of the other things about or the strengths of his game in particular that, Grand Potter, our attack, things that he is going to be if he were to sign for Chelsea and don some Chelsea blue, that would be exciting to supporters. Things that would get them very, very excited about the way that he plays, and maybe, maybe in the context of things that we haven't seen from our current crop of attackers, because that seems to be a pain point for a lot of people. They might be thinking, why are you even bringing this up, Dan? I, I took the I took the World Cup as a time to forget about how bad the attack is, but we have to face it. We have to be very honest. We have to be open about what isn't working so that we can figure out how we solve it and address it. So how does Gakpo help address that problem for, for us in attack?
1: I think you've contextualized it perfectly for me, Dan. I think... Um, it's not been a problem for us to progress play from back to front. That's never been an issue. I think we've done that pretty well. Um, but we've hit a wall every time we've passed it to one of our wide attackers and expected them to do something. Pulisic hasn't worked. Ziyech hasn't worked. Mount has been tried. That hasn't worked. Raheem Sterling's been tried. It, had a very, very bad dip in form. Kai Havertz hasn't done it. So, I mean who are you looking at in terms of trying to create an impact? And when you look at somebody like a Gakpo who likes receiving ball to feet out wide and then has a variety of, of different scenarios that he can pull out from those positions, I think um, it definitely bodes well because he's not just a scorer, He's also a really, really good creator. What I really like about him is that he adds overall threat to you. He's, he's definitely going to give you a lot of trouble with getting shots away, but he's also going to pick out smart cutbacks. He's also going to be, you know, looking around for the right kind of pass if he can find it. And he has the technical ability to pull those off consistently. I mean, for example, just putting it out there last season, he supplied 71 key passes, which is which is a pretty, pretty good amount. And uh, he's already got 59 with about half the season more to go. So he's upped his game even more to a different level. What I really like about him, though, Dan, is is when I look at a very good finisher, I would want them to be ambipedal, be able to use either foot with an equal amount, if not just a little difference here and there, but um, getting strong shots away with with a lot of power being generated behind them, being able to pull out a variety of finishes, you know, a dinked finish or um, placing opening your body up and placing it to the far corner and any other, like, like chipping it over the goalkeeper's head and those are the kind of finishes you always look for when you're looking at a classic number nine I think Kakko has all that in his armory the catalogue of goals that he has you know he's pulled out he genuinely doesn't go into a 1v1 situation premeditating his outcome he decides on the fly he reacts to where the goalkeeper's going and I think those are promising signs for sure so He's a good finisher at six feet two. He's also pretty lanky. So he's got some kind of a speed advantage. When you see him shoot, um, what we call the separation, the initial action you take to create a space before a shot, because he's got these long, lanky limbs, he's able to just take a touch away and shoot with power. And it sort of gives the defender a hard time trying to stretch out for a block purely because he's got some really good reach in his legs. So I think the shooting technique, the way he strikes the ball, very clean. I think that's also something that um, adds to his strength. I think it's it's a very good plus to have. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things that I saw were also, like, for example, he from the left-hand side, he's he's got this really nice cross on him. He doesn't, like, whip it in, but he almost lobs it at you. And and he lobs it at waist level uh, sometimes, you know, where your ability to head it in doesn't really come into play. All you have to do is be in the right position at the right time. And you've got enough time to set the ball properly and strike it the way that you want it. And he also has this really nice cutback, like I mentioned. He will wait for pressure to arrive. And then by that time, he's perused where his teammates are. And then he puts in this lovely grounded ball all along the ground on the right kind of stronger foot of your teammate to strike into, into the goal. I think what you want from a wide playmaker, from a wide attacker, all the ingredients that you really wish that a person could embody, I think Cody Gakpo has that. He's also really good at set pieces. um, direct free kicks from, from corners, he has a really, really good delivery on him. So uh, definitely, I think overall in an attacking sense, a very exciting attacker. And in this Dutch team with somebody like a Memphis Depay, who's very good at linking up play, um, I think we might see a very good version of Gakpo turn up for the Dutch.
0: So who on Chelsea's existing roster, if Gakpo were to come in, also benefits from his
1: presence? That's tough to say, to be honest. I think he's fairly system independent. I think he's somebody who I like purely because you wouldn't want him to be, you know, shoehorned into a particular tactical system. Like if you look at a Jaden Sancho, for example, you would, you would look at him play at Dortmund versus you, look at him play versus United and say, okay, he needs a fullback consistently overlapping for him to get some kind of space creation. You know, he needs to have that distraction to be able to create the kind of creative passes that he has in his locker. I think Kakpo in general doesn't really need that. As long as you don't play him as a nine, I think his strengths come through when when you just pass the ball to him on the left wing and, and let him do his stuff. It's just that the only thing that I'm a little worried about is a lot of PSV's attacks go through Kakpo. You know, he's basically the... Um, you know, the idol that they look up to to create something out of nothing. And, um, I mean, Xavi Simmons has also come in, but he's uh, basically somebody who makes things happen. So I think at this point, our attack definitely needs somebody like that. They need somebody to take control, to take three, four shots a game, some really, really good shots a game, try to create something and and basically feed attackers. I think with his playmaking abilities, I mean, if he's averaging 71 70 passes, key passes a season. I think centre forwards will definitely benefit. I think Raheem Sterling on the right wing, if he does play, will also benefit. He's somebody that likes to utilise elusive movement from the opposite flank to to come in at the far post and finish. So I think Sterling, for example, could could really really want to play with somebody like a catpo. And um, I think there are there is also scope to be able to try him in the number ten role to try him in a number nine role with his back to goal. I think he still needs to do a lot more to be able to perform as a number nine, but he's very good at linking up play. He can play with his back to goal. He's pretty strong. He can hold off pressure. So a lot of really good things to sort of take into consideration and say, okay, if he doesn't work out here, maybe we can like move him around. But that's the exact same thing that we did with Kai Havertz. So how big a risk are we going to take?
0: No, that's completely fair. Completely fair. And so as you kind of also then look at maybe what are the things that are just concern elements, things that you again have penciled in as question marks on if these are coachable, are they changeable behaviors, are they things that are set in stone that we would just have to consider as we look at the next couple of matches that he plays in terms of his evaluation as a fit for Chelsea?
1: Um, So, yeah, I think his, he's got a very clearly defined, strong position. It's on the left wing. He, I think has to play there for, for all his best qualities to come out. I think that's something that's very penciled in. Um, And, and that sort of like breaks away because you want your attackers to be fluid. We've often seen Mason and Kai sort of swap around a little bit, even Ziyech who's, almost always exclusively played on the right being at Ajax. You know, Tuchel tried to move him to the left. Um, Potter also has offered him the kind of freedom to move on the left-hand side to create a couple of chances. What can Gakpo do on the right? You know, can he deliver the same kind of output that he does on the left? I'm not certain. I've not seen enough games. I've seen about seven or eight of, of his games to say that, you know, might not be the same level of output. So that's something that I'm worried about. Um, he's also not somebody who's. I mean, he's very good in terms of his speed because, again, like his his frame in general makes him very difficult um, to be sort of outpaced by once he's gotten past you. But he doesn't have the acceleration or explosiveness that you would want from an elite one v one winger. He's genuinely somebody who would rather, you know, just offer a feint and and try to decept you into moving away and then trying to create that space. But he's not somebody who will just consistently burst past you. Sometimes he does it. Sometimes he does it purely by, you know, not someone or he'll throw his body one way and then he'll take the ball the other way. But doesn't have the acceleration that you'd probably want from, from a wide player. So maybe that's something that might work against him. Um, in a league where there are physically better players, where defenders are much, much quicker than the Eredivizzi. So will he struggle in that sense perhaps um i think i would also want to see more from him when he's playing as as the central presence when he's playing in you know on the shoulder he he needs to do much better with his movement i think he's very predictable sometimes you'll just see him trying to run off the shoulder sometimes he'll make these diagonal runs from from left to right and and sometimes he'll drop but it, it's all very predictable he doesn't have that elusiveness that you would want from from a really good second striker or, or a really good shadow striker. So that's something that needs to be developed. His instincts need to be developed. Uh, if he can do that, then I think it only benefits him as a player. And um, I'm also a little bit concerned about, like, if Nkunku is signed, if somebody who we've been concretely linked with, I don't know how the injury sort of throws that into disarray or if he still go through. But if we find Nkunku, who's also very good of the left-hand side, then Where does Gatpo fit? Because then you're going to have to play him at nine. Then what happens to Breuer? So again, the balance goes up and down. I think at this point, it's fair to say that we need a classic, you know, high shot output number nine. We don't need players who play the number nine position as a casual hobby or they don't play it as a, you know, a side hustle. They need to be absolute number nines who generate a lot of shots, create a lot of shots for themselves. Um, create high value shots for themselves and and offer that level of threat and incisiveness that we've been missing. So I think that's been a question mark. Also a big shout out to Mohammed from Twitter for his Cody Gakpo report on the analyst, which has been very, very helpful for me. I mean I've I've watched his games but reading the report was was really really good. And I think a lot of the strengths that I've mentioned, a lot of the Perceptions that I've come up with have sort of been reinforced by what I've read in his reports. So, you know, massive thanks to him on Twitter. Always it's
0: a good shout out for uh, those people who are still on the platform of Twitter and sharing out wonderful information for us to learn about all of these great players out there. Uh, we're going to take a very quick second break here and we'll get back to the final two players that we want to dig into ahead of this World Cup that Sam will be watching closely. And maybe Chelsea will as well, but uh, will as well. But we will be right back. After these messages. All right, so let's go to a name that has been way, way more closely linked with Chelsea. Chelsea players or have had a chance to play against this individual during this Champions League campaign. Chelsea fans have had a chance to watch him uh, not do too well against Reese James. But to be fair, trying to play against Rhys James, I think is going to be difficult for any player who is the third name on your list, Sam? If people haven't guessed it already,
1: uh, they definitely guessed it. It's Rafael Liao. So, um, yeah, Portugal's talisman, not Cristiano Ronaldo. I think it's going to be this guy along with Bruno Fernandes. I think these two players will definitely make a, a huge impact. But the kind of form Liao's been in, I think, um, I think it'll be just incredible to watch how he grasps this opportunity. Um, probably will start as as the first choice left winger for Portugal. So I'm excited, Dan. I think this is one guy that we've been linked with very consistently. I have my doubts on him, but considering the options that are available in the market in terms of elite one v one pedigree, you know, somebody who can take on anybody in the world fearlessly and, and offer some kind of penetration, offer consistent threat on that left flank. I think. Definitely, he's got to be top two for me. So, very excited to see how he goes. Like you said, didn't really have the best of times against Reese James, but, you know, nobody has a good time against Reese James. Ask Vinicius Jr. I think that also uh, tends to talk amazingly well about the kind of defender he is. But. Um. yeah, I, I think Leo would be a fantastic addition should we get him for an affordable price.
0: Yeah, that is always the challenge. Can you get the right price for the player? Uh, the only benefit maybe being in this scenario is that he has not yet signed a new deal. And whether that is agent posturing or potentially looking for the next opportunity, we shall see. But I think for those who may have not watched him play in Syria and have just had the exposure to watching him play against Reese James might be thinking, well, wait a minute, this guy did nothing in that match. He got shown up. Why do I want someone who can't beat one of the best right backs, right wing backs, one of the best players in the world and Reese James, maybe you could expand upon the additional virtues, the things that you've been seeing that get you excited. Because again, as we highlight, Going up against Reese James is frustrating for anybody. And so you have to take a little of that with a grain of salt or uh, take that a little out of the consideration matrix when you're thinking about uh, Liao and how he would
1: support Chelsea. I think his evolution has been very interesting. He started off as somebody who's, who's been a classical winger, some, somebody who likes taking people on and then trying to deliver um, but he's he's sort of now turned into an all-round wide forward. You know, he can create from wide, he can shoot with either foot. I think he's developed an incredible amount of power and accuracy in, in either foot. And I think that's always a great um, you know, addition to your to your arsenal whenever you can. So um he he's definitely got that now going for him. He he's a very, very good finisher, somebody who, when he gets into the right zones, will offer a good level of goal scoring. Um, what I really like about him is that he's, like I said, he's a phenomenal 1v1 player. You, The moment you isolate him against, you know, the opposition fullback, he has an incredible amount of balance. He has the explosiveness. He has the speed. He's six feet two. He's also a bit like a center forward. And that's very, very rare from a, from a winger. Like, you know, he's got an incredible amount of strength. So he just shakes off people as if it's nothing and and then gets into the box so when you get him into the right zones against the right kind of players he's devastating i don't think um you know it's there are any players in europe that are far more difficult to handle than him so i think that's something that will be very good for us to have in terms of a profile something that we've been missing um yeah and and i think like um, like i said you know in terms of Gakko being somebody who wasn't really dependent on a system I think Leao also fits that brief. He's not really a system-dependent player. As long as you play him on the left-hand side and you get him the ball, more often than not, he will offer some kind of thread to you. He consistently does that. He's happy to dribble, he's happy to pass and then move into space. I think he's got all of the right kind of traits for a wide forward lockdown. So he's he's definitely somebody that you don't have to think, oh, I'm playing a four, three, three, does he fit well? I'm playing a four, two, three, one, does it fit well? i think in any system you put him on the left he's he's a lock you know he does absolutely well um and then i think he's also developed his playmaking skills very well i you know initially when i started watching him when when we were like when he was at sporting didn't really have that in his in his um you know in his arsenal in terms of trying to offer penetrative passes the moment an opportunity released itself, like, would he be able to pierce a pass through the gap? I think that's something that he didn't really look for much when he was in his younger years. But now when you see him, you know, he he has this deception where he turns his body as if to to blaze past someone. And then the moment a gap opens up between defenders, he plays people in. And I think that's that's something that he's developed really, really well he's also developed his cutbacks you know instead of crossing it to Giroud like consistently on his head he's now learned how to deliver grounded cutbacks into the path of an attacker and most of the times he picks it out very accurately the ball goes exactly where you would go as an attacker without breaking your stride so i think that's an incredible sort of vision to have from from a wide attacker to to put it exactly where the centre forward wants it, so I think in an overall sense, with a two-footed attacker, somebody who's got that balance, somebody who's got strength, he'd be he'd be a you know a, a talisman and, and a good luck charm to have on the left hand side.
0: Well, plenty of things to get excited about as we talk about him on the left hand side. I mean, obviously, we're hoping that Ben Chilwell gets healthier, quicker, and sooner. You think about someone like Koulibaly on left-hand side and then uh, adding potentially Liao to the left as well. That would definitely be a very, very scary left-hand side for a lot of teams to come up against, both in attacking and defensive phases of a match. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think even Kukureya would be... Really happy to play with someone like him. I think our sure. left side, you know, once they're fully fit, um, you know, once we've got the right, like, once both, both of them have got their fitness levels back, I think Liao would definitely benefit. He currently benefits from one of the best left backs in the world playing in Milan, Theo Hernandez. And he, he's built a very good rapport with him. You know, he, he's comfortable drifting inside to the central zones and allows Hernandez to be outside from where he can deliver crosses if Hernandez sort of inverts and goes into the central areas, then Liao sort of drifts outside because the opposition center back, opposition fullback is supposed to mark, you know, the opposition fullback making a run. So the moment that space opens up, Liao then knows that he's going to receive in a very advantageous position. So if that kind of rapport is with somebody like a chilwell, I think it would be a pretty interesting dynamic on that left-hand side.
0: All right. Well, that is, again, all exciting stuff, but... You know, I guess people are going to, again, still be scratching their heads, still be thinking about the weaknesses section of your conversation here. And are there concerns beyond what we saw in the matches against Chelsea where you would point at a, well, this is a question mark or is this maybe uh, not a, a major concern? So walk me through where your two or three main points of contention are.
1: I think we discussed this before, like before the Milan game when we were doing the Milan preview. That um, the one thing that I think fails inconsistently is his defensive tracking and defensive work rate. He just goes to sleep, and, and that's something that is extremely frustrating to see, especially from a manager that demands, you know, an aggressive counter press, wants his his wide players to track back and help the fullback. I think he's the kind of attacker Mourinho would hate, to be honest. You know, somebody who doesn't put in the work when you have to. And then he, we saw it against Reese Reece James where Reece could basically, he had a walk in the park, you know, he just waltzed past him on occasion, you know, got that goal also. And it just, like, spoke volumes about does this guy have the defensive aptitude? Does he have the willingness to to slog it out when when you're playing against a world-class opponent? And that sort of like really dampened the kind of uh, hype he'd been getting. But I think that's something that needs to be significantly improved. At one point in time, last season, he was pressing less than Lukaku. I think he was pressing rest, less than Ronaldo at one point. Around six pressures for 90 minutes. That's abysmal. So, Stefano Pioli has the, the luxury of playing him as, you know, final third attacker. He played him almost like an Ed Hazard. You give him the ball and you expect him to do magic and and that is good in in certain leagues in at certain times against certain opponents but in the premier league can you afford to have that kind of luxury i'm not certain um there's also i think question marks about his his psychological profile like he tends to disappear when when the going gets tough a lot of games where milan have been losing and he just he just vanishes like you know he doesn't try to do something that stirs up the crowd he doesn't try to do something that galvanizes his team you know he he basically just waits for the ball tries to do something but you'd ideally want your wide attacker to go and like tackle somebody or or you make a statement or, or do something but he, he tends to like drift out of the game very very often and I think that's going to be a definite question mark in terms of how can consistently consistently can he perform or how well can he Um, do it in a league where there are better players and where there are better defenders capable of shackling him down. I think that's going to be a major concern. Also, like Gakpo, very left-oriented, can drift to the centre and do stuff, but on the right, I'm not certain how well he can do. There was a clip from long back where he was playing for Portugal on the right side where he did really well, but I think it's just he's used so much on the left-hand side that we haven't got a really good sample size of his play on the right. So, there are question marks there as well. And the last one would be that uh, I don't know if people know, but um, a couple of years ago, there was this huge dispute that happened because one day Sporting Lisbon's fans broke into the training complex and they beat the players. And a lot of players were injured. And uh, because of this incident, a lot of sporting players basically terminated their contract and decided to go to other clubs for free. And one of them was Rafael Leao. And uh, when he did that, when he moved to Milan, the, the CAS court basically ruled that he had no right to terminate his contract. So he has to pay Sporting a £16.5 million pounds worth of um, fine, but that money is being deducted from his wages. So I think 25% of his, of his weekly wages are being deducted until it satisfies the £16.5 million. Now, Milan don't want to pay that money. Sporting basically want the money and leao's agents want chelsea or whichever club are going for leao to clear those wages out so he gets his that basically that debt out of his you know head so if you're going to pay 100 million for him if you're going to pay 16 million in his fines is a player like him worth 120 million my answer honestly would be no so uh, as it stands, really, really talented player. But if in the next year, year and a half, he's unable to add defensive strengths, if Milan don't drop the demand, then for me, it's an easy no.
0: Okay, well, that that are those are all things to keep in mind when it comes to evaluating a player and hidden cost. Uh, definitely, the unspoken item of many contracts that occur. Sometimes it's agent fees. Sometimes it's payments to. Parents in the form of jobs in uh, certain countries. And this is definitely another particular to keep in mind when it comes to evaluating Liao's potential acquisition or the acquisition of his services. So, last one: Would we dare we go back to buy from this Syria team again? I don't know, Sam. I don't know. But you're going to make the case as to why we should go after this player. And I'd love for you to walk us through why that is.
1: I think you've deceived the the listeners a little bit. I think when you're saying go back to this Serie A club, people are instantly thinking Lukaku and Inter Milan, and I'm talking about Lautaro Martinez, but I'm not.
0: It's subterfuge. It's Kim subterfuge. <laughs> it's pulling the rug underneath the listener's feet. They are shocked. What oh Napoli God, they're shocked.
1: again? They're absolutely flabbergasted. Oh no! <laughs> but it's it's not Lataro Martinez. Although he is somebody I would keep a very close eye on in this World Cup. So definitely do watch him. But I was talking about Kim Min Jae from uh, from Napoli. I think he's. Been absolutely phenomenal um, since he's joined Napoli. And ironically, the player signed to replace Kaledu Kudibaly. So, you know, like you said, do we dare go back to Napoli and Aurelio Di Laurentiis and say, you know, we need your star centre-back. I think that's going to be a very interesting conversation to have. But um, arguably one of the best centre-backs in the world, I would say, right now in terms of his form, in terms of the way he's playing. Definitely world-class pedigree. His performances, most of his performances have been absolutely stellar in terms of what you want from the perfect center back. This guy is it. You know, you've, he's got everything. But um, yeah, I think he, he, all his performances, the rave, the reviews around him, I think speak for themselves. So definitely going to be one to keep an eye on.
0: All right. So people probably stopped watching, at, stopped watching Napoli once Koulibaly came to Chelsea which would be unfortunate because they have been a phenomenal side to watch all season. In particular, their Champions League run was very fantastic. But just in general, they have been trouncing teams in Serie A this season. If you need something to do during the World Cup and you're not interested in watching the games of the World Cup for whatever reason, uh, and there's plenty of legitimate ones to to, uh, reasons why, going back and watching a lot of these Napoli matches – would definitely give you some high quality football to enjoy, Sam. But what is it about this player in particular that has you excited for him potentially at Chelsea?
1: Well, for starters, he's he's six feet three inches tall. Um, he's extremely quick and he's, he's extremely athletic. You know, he's an actual physical specimen. I think in terms of asking for a centre back who has that kind of imposing presence but also has the speed also has the capabilities to cover mistakes to to make sure that you're you know uh, tracking back in a high line and able to recover in time i think when you look at him he's, he's absolutely there i would say he's closest to a virtual van dyke that you can find in this current market they're very similar players who try not to make the first decision i think it's always going to be a bingo about Making sure that the attacker makes the first move and then you react to it accordingly. So when you look at Van Dyke's numbers, for example, when you look at his tackles, when you look at his blocks, um, the numbers are extremely poor. So you tend to think that he's he's you know doing something wrong. But then you watch him play and you understand why. And uh, it's the same with same with Kim. You know, he he does the same thing in terms of ground duels. I think he only wins around 1.6. He only competes for 1.6, 1.7 a game. So he's only going in for one ground duel. He only wins a couple of tackles, sometimes one, sometimes none. Like he never, he doesn't go for a tackle at all. But it's purely because of how good he is in terms of his positioning, how confident he is on his feet. He's he's very confident in his reading of the game. I think that's that speaks volumes about the confidence that he's playing with, and also a testament to the kind of physical ability and and his intelligence that makes him such a formidable four to come up. Against.
0: All right, so things that we like about him, definitely all of those are extremely positive. As as he has kind of adapted or adjusted his game, um, you know, obviously he's he's been now at Napoli for the start of this season. Is there anything that he's had to adjust to, adapt to, learn from? Or has it almost been a plug-and-play for him where he has just sat in and looked like he has existed as a part of that Napoli infrastructure for longer than he's actually played there?
1: It's actually very interesting, his trajectory. I think he started off in... Um, he was playing semi-professional football as late as 2016. So he's only had essentially five and a half, six years of, of professional football, leave alone European football. You know, he's only had... About a couple of years of that and, and top five leagues has only been like there for about six, seven months. So um, it's startling to see how, how quickly he's he's grown from where he started off. Um, and, and I think it's been a little bit of a journey for him. Like, for example, in his first season in Korea, he had 10 yellow cards and one red card. Um, so, you know, almost 11, like definitely 11 cards over the entire season. So his discipline record was all over the place. And then after that, when he moved to China and then he moved to to Fenerbahce, you could see that he was sort of curbing his instincts a little bit. He was learning on the fly, trying to make sure that his instincts were honed. He was trying to offer a little bit of restraint when going into challenges. I think that's made him the defender that he is. You know, when you look at him duel now, he chooses his battles very, very wisely. You know, and he comes out on top most of the time. When you look at his ground duels this year, I mean, 57% of the ground is good and 66% in the air is terrific. So he's somebody who's offering that level of adaptability. He's saying, I moved from Korea to China, to Turkey, to the Italian Serie A. So he's made some extremely big leaps in terms of his adaptations. And I think if you were to throw him into, you know, a top three side, a top four side and ask him to adapt, like in the Premier League, I think he would do it pretty seamlessly as well, going by you know, how well he's, he's doing it. And he's, he's the perfect archetype of the modern centre-back. Like I said, he can ping passes with either foot. His long passes are really good. Whenever he wins the ball back, he's, you know, most of the times he's always looking up. He knows the right kind of runs that Napoli are making. Like you said, you know, they've been an extremely good sight to watch. And when you've got people like Victor Osman making runs, when you've got like uh, which are Paratschelia also making runs down the flank, That then you know you're hitting the right kind of people. So you've got a center back who not only defends, but also starts attacks. And I think that's invaluable in the system that Napoli play and, and his qualities, his leadership, the kind of presence that he brings at the back, I think is is pretty much indispensable at this point in Napoli.
0: All right. Very fair. Very fair that he has had a wonderful rise. And we've all been... Lucky, if you've been watching, to have a chance to see that. But maybe are we going to knock him again for that small sample size because we've done it for a few other players? Are there other weaknesses that we would want to consider? And I think the one that maybe, for those who are fans of watching our talented academy get shots at the first team, you know, we see how Trev Chalaba has become an essential part of our back line Even if you have someone like Thiago Silva rotate out at the end of this season, you're going to have to bring one to two bodies into our defense. You know, maybe Azpilicueta goes as well. So there are players out there that don't cost us uh, potentially 30, 40, 50 million euros like a Levi Cowell who Grand Potter wanted at Brighton and then got hired at Chelsea. So I guess what are the concerns that you have and maybe what are the what's the, the top concern that you would have?
1: I think you pointed it out perfectly sample size. I think it's it's pretty tiny at this point in time. And we've seen it in the past. Like, you know, for example, Kalar Soyunchu at Leicester had a very, very good first season in the Premier League. Manchester City wanted him for 16 million. Leicester said no and then he basically fell off a cliff where he couldn't get his form back. And I think it's like for center backs or any player for that matter, confidence is a huge issue. So sometimes you do hit, you know, a rough patch and then suddenly you lose every bit of the purple patch that, that brought you there. And I think that's a plausible scenario for any player. And it's not, you know, reflecting poorly on anybody's mental makeup or anything of the sort. We're all human and we all go through those, through those phases, through those certain difficulties and challenges. So uh, going by, say, a 20-game sample size of league plus Champions League games for Napoli, are we ready to make that big decision? For me, that would always be, you know, something to keep an eye on. Um, the second thing I would say is that he's predominantly played in a back four. So if Graham Potter really wants to change to a back four, I think then you would want to look at him and say he's he's definitely one player to look out for. Because um, when you look at Levi Colville, for example, he's recently played in his Huddersfield loan as well as now at Brighton. He's playing as the left side of a three. So if you're going to a four, maybe that signing makes sense along with the Wesley Fofana, and then rotating with Kulipali and and Chalupa, and then trying to figure out where Levi Colville fits there. Um, but if it's a it's a back three, then it I think it's it's definitely a no brainer in terms of getting Colville in, integrating him, and then making sure that you know he has a starting spot ready for um, come the come the season come next season. So I think Colville definitely has to be there. Irrespective of what we do. But like you said, if there's an opportunity to give Colville the chance, one hundred percent needs to be there over, over this player. So I think it would be um it would be wise, it would be clever, it would also offer the right kind of signals to everybody who's trying to make that step up from the academy that, you know, you've got the chance, you've got the pathway, and, and players are willing to take it. So those I think are are my concerns. I think small sample size. Um probably I think I would I would say I haven't seen him play a lot in, in a back three. And I don't know whether he has the ability to play as one of the white center backs because he tends to carry it occasionally, but can he do it as aggressively as a Milan screenier, um, as a Rudiger in in a back three? I, I honestly don't know. But it's something that you need from your white center back. So I think that's also going to be a question. And of course if you have Levi Colville, it's Levi Colville all day.
0: Right. And as maybe a caveat, I would place that resources are finite despite potentially having a massive amount of funds to spend in January or in the summer. That means potentially two, three, maybe four players again, but the question of prioritization comes in, and then do you would you rather spend... $100 million on the midfielder that's going to really elevate the system and you potentially promote someone like Levi Colwell um, versus buying a, another kind of defender. And I think that's the way to frame this too, Sam, is it's not necessarily saying that, oh, no, don't go for a particular player, but it's how do you take those academy talents and bed them into the existing system where then it also allows you to spend a little bit more potentially on premium ready-made talent in the top areas of need. And uh, I think really the only reason center back is a area of need right now is because it's uh, been a little hampered by injuries, but uh, so has the midfield and so has the attack.
1: I completely agree. I think at this point in time when we're trying to build a squad, I think you spend the big money only on essentials. You do not go and spend $50 million on, say, a Josco Guardiola. I think Levi Colville is 100% better than Guardiola and, and will be in, in the years to come. So you do not spend you know that kind of money on players who can offer that that kind of rotating option and and possibly try and take a chance. Next season, for example, on the right-hand side, probably Ziyech leaves. I don't know what happens to Pulisic because he will be in, in the final year of his contract. Um, I don't know what happens to Hudson-Odoi. Give Omari Hutchinson a chance, you know, let him play there. And, and you know, if you find an attacker, if for example, you go for Gakpo and Kunku on the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, give Omari chances, you know, let him get 15-20 games in like Kani Chukwameka and figure out if he's good enough to play. If not, next year loan him out, but give him the chance to show what he's all about. I think those decisions have to be made. In positions where we can't promote from within and where we need world class acquisitions, spend the money. You know, Declan Rice, 100 million, 70 million, 80 million, spend it. Bellingham, probably, yes, also try and spend it. Enzo Fernandez, if you can give him around 60, 70, I would say take that chance, spend it. So I think those positions which require definite reinforcement, spend big everywhere else, promote from within and uh, give Cobham a chance.
0: Give come a chance and spend wisely, Mr. Bowley. That is the recommendation from Sam and myself as we look into the end of this episode here. But Sam, before we go, I'd like you to maybe rattle off a few of those dark horse candidates you've talked about where we won't give them the full review. But maybe as we get through this World Cup and we start getting into the later stages, we'll be coming back on a weekly basis here from now to the end of the World Cup talking about players, talking about the players that you've highlighted, figuring out how well they're doing, maybe adding in other players that Chelsea should be considering. But who are the other two that you wanted to cede to the audience as a keep an eye out for this player?
1: Um, so like I said, you know, if there was a chance to go for for other markets and and try to get on uh, players from a slightly not so heralded demographic, I would say somebody that was really impressed by is in Bong Huang so he plays for south korea there is absolutely no hype around him at all um he's had a pretty interesting career so he was hailed as you know breakout star when he was at he was 19 years old and uh, hamburg from the bundesliga wanted him when he was in korea he won his country the 2018 asian games and as a as a reward for that he was allowed to to leave his military service after one year so you know, after that, he moved to Russia, uh, to Rubin Kazan. And he was playing there, but struggled with coronavirus. Then he had an injury. And uh, after the war started, the Ukraine-Russia war, um, he was allowed to terminate his contract. So now he plays for Olympiakos in Greece. But uh, the moment I saw him play against Brazil, I think something just struck me as, wow, this guy is really, really good. And I was really surprised to see that, you know, he was playing in Greece. And uh, when I went back and saw a lot more of his games, he's he's really good. You know, he's somebody who's versatile, who can play as a central attacking midfielder. He's played as a central mid. He plays as a central defensive midfielder. Somebody who's offering a lot of thrust. He, I think he has an excellent engine. Somebody who's aggressive. Somebody who's tenacious. Very press resistant. You know, Brazil's players were trying to press him when his back was turned to, to the opposition goal. And he was... Effortlessly maneuvering in and out and weaving in and out wherever you wanted. And he's also two-footed, somebody with a very good passing range, a very good vision from deep. So if you want your DM to be creating chances in a 4-3-3, I I would love to take a punt on somebody like him. You know, give a 26-year-old South Korean midfielder like him a chance. Um, Probably won't even cost much. You know, Liverpool went to Greece and cost costs a syncus for I think like 10 million or eleven million. And yeah, he proved an absolutely incredible deputy for, for Andrew Robertson. So why wouldn't you want to take a chance on, on a player that nobody's looking at? I mean I'm pretty sure there are reasons behind it, but from what the eye test could tell, I think he was a really good player. And it's somebody that I would definitely be keeping uh an eye on as the tournament progresses. Obviously no top five league experience. Um, no big game experience in terms of like top European fixtures, but why not? Like, you know, if you could save some money and fill a, fill a uh, midfield slot for minimal amount, then I think it's worth the punt, you know, take a chance. And uh, the other two players, I would say one is, I think, like I said, Denmark is my dark horse for this tournament. They look absolutely phenomenal in terms of a team, in terms of the unit that they work with. Um the individuals also performed really well in it, so I think one of the players that I'm really impressed by is Andreas Skov Olsen. Um, <clears throat> he's a left-footed right winger so who plays for for the Danish team, and uh, he's been impressing not only at club level. He's played for Club Bruges, and now he's you know starting to break through in the national team setup. And some of the goals that he scores, I think it's the Chelsea fan in me. It reminds me of arian robin you know he's got this trademark cut in from the left sorry cut in from the right onto his left foot and then shoot into the top corner he does this consistently and I think somebody who's again six feet two inches tall has acceleration has pace has an absolutely gorgeous left foot i think he's got one of the best left foots that i've seen from a young player in a in a while I think he would be an absolutely phenomenal player to watch in this Danish unit. I think he's definitely going to be probably a revelation of the tournament if Denmark go far. So he's definitely one to keep an eye on. And the last player I would say to keep an eye on is somebody who's played against us um, a couple of times, I think, in in recent times. Uh, Otavio from FC Porto. He's also done really well against us. At one point in time, when he played against us, he won more duels than all our midfielders combined. So he's somebody who's extremely tenacious, very aggressive, um, probably, I think, one of the most consistent central midfielders in Europe. The amount of consistent, good performance that he's put in for FC Porto have been absolutely staggering. He's been interrupted with a couple of injuries recently. I think this season he's had two injuries and he's missed about, I think, half a month or like one month with, with... uh, a rib injury and and stuff, but when he's come back, I think um, he's definitely going to be a revelation for Portugal this season. So uh, keep an eye on him. I think he scored two goals. I think I'm not sure today. Bruno Fernandes played and scored two, and I think he he also started um, in the friendly, made a very 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 good impact. So I think if you're looking for a right sided, hard working midfielder, I think he's somebody to definitely keep an eye on. So That's going to be my third player. I think these are the three dark horses. And hopefully at least one of them clicks so I can pretend to know what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, well, that is never in doubt, as the listeners will certainly tell you how much they rely upon your scouting, your ability, and what you bring to the table, Sam. And so uh, you're going to get a whole lot more of that during the World Cup as we continue this little bit of a weekly series that we'll be doing from now until the end of that, just getting into specific players that were watching players that would be of interest to Chelsea, what we're seeing from their performances. And if uh, maybe some more people pop out of the woodwork that we should be considering, but Sam, thank you so much for the time and taking us through your list. And uh, we'll just make sure to uh, find a way to zip this file down and uh, shoot it over to Todd and team and make sure that they get it reviewed and
1: in their ear holes ASAP. Thank you so much, Dan. I mean, I can't, I can't really put into words how much this means to me, It's 3 a.m. where I am and I'm sitting here talking football with you. Certainly that amount of dedication merits a little bit of trust in terms of the research that we do. So Todd Bowley, please listen to the London is Blue podcast. I think we're doing some really good work. And uh, if you need any help, you know, please feel free to fire us an email and we'll do whatever it is that you require from us. So, um, yeah, (laughs) I'm very happy to do whatever you want to do
0: yeah we stand ready so uh we're gonna get sam to bed we're gonna get you this episode uh yeah you're listening to it now so we did so congratulations you've just enjoyed a little bit of wonder but until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying up